Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. You may know Debbie David as a visible member of Metro Detroit's transgender community. You may know her from her days at the Acapella Theater in the NoHo Arts District in North Hollywood, California. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you may know her for her recurring role as Ensign Russell on both the Next Generation and Voyager series. Her career includes performances as a background or extra on a host of television series and movies. Debbie's path from Shelbyville, Kentucky to New York City, Hollywood, and ultimately Metro Detroit as an actor and trans woman has been filled with challenges and pain, both personally and professionally. Now, under the banner of a United States Transgender Advocacy Organization, Debbie hosts Dragopolis Television. Debbie and the D is broadcasting news about this year's Pride season activities in Metro Detroit while working to aid trans persons and educate the public. A member of Christ the Good Shepherd Old Catholic Church, Debbie videos the Little Church with the Big Hearts weekly services. Debbie Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, I I haven't been happier in in 20 years. Uh, I'm doing a lot better uh, physically uh, than I was, and uh, uh, my life has changed so good. Uh, My main reasons is... uh, I uh, started going to church, and uh, uh, I found a church that accepts me the way I am, and I, I love mm-hmm. them so much. Uh, and uh, I'm doing the videos for them. I've been doing the videos for uh, Christ the Good Shepherd Church on uh, 12 Mile in Berkeley for over 15 months now. And mm-hmm. uh, haven't missed one week. Mm-hmm. Uh, a rosary uh, video each week, and uh, that was an amazing thing to uh, to try because we went around to different areas and took pictures and things. It really woke up my creative um, uh, juices again because I, uh, you know, I have a, a radio television broadcasting degree from Moorhead State University in Kentucky, and I wear my Moorhead State University. Sure, around uh, Detroit here, 
And I don't know, people, I think they think it's more house, you know. But they're like, <laughs> oh, you went there, and oh, uh-huh, well, that's nice. Uh-huh. I, I think they think it's more house. But uh, anyway, it's Moorhead State University, and uh, uh, they had a really fantastic theater program. I got a degree in theater uh, arts also. I have two degrees from there. I went full time. Once I got to okay. leave home, I left home as a junior in high school. I took the college Instagram and went to, went off to college then, and uh, uh, came back for my senior year. I didn't have to do anything. I was uh, the student council president, and I did some plays, and I didn't have to have any credits or anything. It was great. And um, wow. um, but anyway, so uh, in Moorhead. Um, uh, I have this uh, radio, television, broadcasting degree. So we getting to do the videos for the church for this whole year, and we have a YouTube channel uh, uh, that you can go to. All those uh, videos are there, and there's over 100 now, and uh, uh, they're each one a piece of art in, in my book. Uh, they're each one with a little baby. I try to take amateur equipment and make it look like Hollywood, you know, with my mm-hmm. tricks that I know. And I was using every trick in the book, like Ernie Kovacs handmade title cards and everything else. But, uh, and sound uh, tricks that I did. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm proud of them. And so that got me through COVID. It gave me some place to put my energy and I, I uh, just literally prayed that, hey, uh, I'll do this. But you keep me alive, so uh-huh. I guess it worked out okay. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, cause, so that that changed my life around a lot. Uh, uh-huh. Finding a church that accepts me as a, uh, a transgender person, and also, and then uh, you know affirmations. Uh, they say I go to the transgender support. You know, I, I met a lot of them activists that I work with now, uh, too, you know, well, you know affirmations that, and, I mean, and through Exactly. Group. You know, I think that we first met at, at affirmations, but, I, you know, it's like you've been, you are a, a part of a community. You bring, I mean, like, I can remember it was like for, I, I want to say for Rachel Crandall um, Crocker's birthday. Yeah, Rachel. Costume. And you had on this great costume, and everybody was trying to, who is that? But there was just something about the way that you moved, and I said, that's Debbie David. <laughs> and <you> know, <laughs> when I think of... Yeah, I, I like to having, uh, use my uh, acting skills of, to uh, create uh-huh. a, a... Yeah. Uh, when I think of not having pride or not... Well, anyway, yeah, that, Rachel's... Uh, 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 mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, they say at that uh, transgender life support group, uh, when the group mm-hmm. does, when you don't need the group, the group needs you. And exactly. so uh, I was going back there every every once in a while just for that reason, you know. And uh, I met uh, this uh, young person who uh, wanted to be the it was not helpful. Uh, and, uh-huh. and parts of the family were, you know, downright scary. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, and uh, no means uh, to 
break away. And anyway, I didn't think much of it, but uh, I that she started uh, uh, listening to what I said at those group meetings, and uh, now uh, we're the best of friends. And uh, mm. it's, it's Ruby, uh, my friend Ruby, and uh, mm-hmm. we uh, are just uh, so happy. It's, uh, we. Uh, have moved to both moved to Ferndale here, and uh, we can live uh, safely and and happily and uh, productively here. I, it's just beautiful, and uh, I I can't be happier. I'm just yesterday, I, you know, talking with the mayor of Ferndale and uh, David Garcia, and he announced about um, uh, Ringwall Theater moving to. Uh, yeah. the affirmations, yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, he talked about um, the MCC Church is going to be there now. So, yep. you know, uh, affirmations is not going to die and decay and become a, uh, a a thing of the past. It's gonna, it's not going to be commercialized. It's going to survive despite itself and despite COVID yep. and despite the fact that, you know, we had this wave after the Supreme Court uh, allowed us uh, same-sex marriage uh, and I was down there at the courthouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pictures of me fighting that guy. That was uh, they did a CNN documentary about him. He was a pistol packing guy. He was bringing up busloads of people, and they had those red and white signs that says "We support tradition." I'm that right down there. There's a picture of me right in front of the courthouse in front of that guy. Uh, and mm-hmm. what they were doing is they were saying. Uh, uh, they were singing uh, religious hymns and walking around. And I, I got in the circle with them, and then I, after they finished one time, I started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And uh, they started singing along with me. And I said, whether, and then I started singing, Jesus loves the little children. And I said, whether yellow, black, or gay, they, whether they're straight or not. And uh, they they realized I wasn't one of them. Oh, it was funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, Debbie, I'll tell you oh. one of the things that, that I have to, to talk about you and why, you know, as I was looking at people and thinking about it, and you've been reaching out to me, you know, you mentioned a couple times about affirmations. We used to do an open mic there, and one of the things that it also gave people an opportunity to maybe try out something, try out doing poetry, trying out things. But you were like yeah. somebody who I could call and you would come. And even though it was a free open mic and many of our, our participants were kids and stuff, you came in and you did it like, you know, you were getting ready for your show to do it and to do it right. And, you know, to, to not only entertain, but I think that a lot of the young people who were sitting there, it's like you got up there and did it, and then they were like, well, I can try. And, I mean, even since, <laughs> you know, they don't have that anymore, I still come across people, young and from all age groups and all ethnicities, the LGBTQIA and straight, who came through there and talked about having that space to come in and, you know, just feel like they could be themselves and do it. And, you know, and I don't know if I have ever thanked you enough for being one of those people who 
We could count on you know some some weeks you didn't know who was going to Michelle, show up. We Michelle, could count on it, you. It is I, it is I who must thank you. Uh, you, you were one of the first people uh, that uh, spoke to me, encouraged me, and that asked me to in in. in here in Detroit. You know, I didn't wind up uh, living at Schaefer Highway in Puritan uh, by accident, really. I uh, uh, was hiding from Hollywood, really, and the world and my family. And uh, uh, I wasn't ready to come back out. I I got so injured on that movie that, uh, you know, people thought I was Gone. In fact, since I've come back out lately on Facebook, there's people uh, from Star Trek and, and uh, other shows. You know, I was on Cheers. I was on Wings. I was on uh, <laughs> over 90 different shows and, and, and TV and movies and stuff uh, I did. Uh, I, I, most, a lot of it's background, basically, but, uh, uh-huh. uh, you know, I was like king of the extras. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was uh, in the screen... See, I was in the Screen Actors Guild before they had this. Uh, they used to have a, a Screen Extras Guild, uh-huh. and so they they told you, uh, you know, don't don't ever work in the Screen Actors Guild, you know. And uh, but when they combined, I had already worked with worked with the uh, the central casting people. So when they said, "Oh, you got your SAG card," oh, 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 so they would put me up close, you know, so. Mm-hmm. I would get hired as a extra, but then I would be end up like uh, Rising Sun with uh, Philip Kaufman and uh, Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes. Oh man, talk about two great actors, Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery. Anyway, uh, I was there on that movie as a deep background extra, and mm-hmm. uh, Philip Kaufman comes up to me and he uh, well they ask, they ask about thirty of the men to stand in a line. And they said, uh, Philip Kaufman is going to come along here. Don't bother him. He's looking for a certain type. You don't need to say anything. So uh, uh, Philip Kaufman goes down the whole line of guys. I'm towards the end of the line, right? He gets to me, and I said, oh, Mr. Kaufman, I saw incredible likeness of being eight <laughs> times in Italy. And uh, it was the only English-speaking movie on the theater at that time. I kept watching it over and over. And then this scene and way you did this and that, he, goes, he was shocked. He looks back, you know. He walks on down the line. Uh, ten minutes later, the guy walks over to me and says, don't say anything, walk with me. They took me and put me in a trailer. And, and you know, I, I was Senator Morton's aide in Rising Ten now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That just that happens from you know. So uh, I remember working on. Uh, they said don't don't do extra work, you know. But uh, that's how I got on Star Trek and became Ensign Russell, and that's how I uh, you know. Bruce Willis told me don't listen to that. He goes a lot of stars got started that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, let's take a quick yeah. break, and then um, when we come back, I want to find out how. Ferndale's fabulous Debbie David um, uh, right. got, got to Ferndale, so we'll be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am talking to someone I consider a dear friend, Debbie David. Debbie, how did you get from Kentucky to Ferndale and several stops in between? Well, it's uh, all because of, of love. It's all because of love, Michelle. And people don't understand that and because of who I fell in love with. But um, I fell in love with a Star Trek fan and a, uh, a guy who's not gay. He uh, was actually homophobic when I met and, uh, and he's a, a Wayne County uh, retiree now, but a 27-year Wayne County employee. Uh, worked the road crew worked the sewage department. Uh, he used to walk down, uh, my husband, Anthony Armour, who I'm telling you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the reason I came to. Well, where were we? Well, I, uh, I, I guess I want to ask you, did you, did you uh, we were talking about how you got from Kentucky to Michigan, and, but did you always yeah, okay. have the acting bug? Well, yeah, uh, I was born with it, I guess, because, uh, <laughs> well, I, here's the deal. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, my, the first role that I played was Jesus. Uh, mm. I, I was born in March of 1955, mm-hmm. uh, and um, my mom's name was Mary, and my dad's name was Joseph. So they said, well, little Carl David has to be uh, baby Jesus, you know. Uh, it has to be in the, in the Christmas pageant. Now, uh-huh. Mrs. Shipman and uh, Mrs. Cleveland both told me this story, but Mrs. Cleveland's the one who gave me a bunch of details about it. But anyway, apparently, when I was the baby Jesus, the shepherds came up, and I started laughing so that boys went up on their lines or something and they look out the audience and everybody got flustered and uh, I kept laughing. And so then the people <laughs> in the congregation started laughing and uh, then it seemed like every time the wise men came up or whatever, I would laugh, you know. And so mm-hmm. everybody laughed through the whole Christmas pageant. And Mrs. Cleveland said, I was a Presbyterian, but that night I changed to the Methodist because uh, you're the little baby Jesus. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I've always been acting. And then uh, mm-hmm. when I was a little kid, my uh, older brother was five years older than me. And he's, uh, uh, by the way, a very accomplished artist. And if you want to 
invest in art, I can tell you, uh, you know, the art of Joey Burks has become uh, quite valuable because uh, he died a couple of years ago. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, he's got a, a beautiful story. He, he stayed there in Kentucky. I, I, I had to leave. Uh, they would have killed me if I had stayed there, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, but uh, my my older brother, he... Uh, uh, he... Uh, he uh, oh, man. He... Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, well, um, uh, being baby Jesus. Yeah, being baby Jesus, right. So uh, he had a friend who sang... He sang all the time, and uh, Gordon Parker, and Gordon could sing really well. Now, my sister, uh, who's 10 years older than me, she, uh, and my mom, that's amazing. My mom had children from 1945, and then I was born in 1955, and then my littlest brother uh, was born in 1961. And so that's a span for a, a, a mother to have children, I would believe. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's quite amazing. Uh, uh, but, uh, she had six children. There were six of us. There was eight in our family. And, um, um, my older brother had this guy who would sing all the time. Now my older sister, she loved musicals. So she bought all of the musicals. She had Oklahoma, everything like that. And that's where I absorbed all this material. I can do them all right now, you know. A fool said, well, don't you understand, friends? Either you're closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge. I can do the whole thing, you know. But, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how I got started. And uh, one night, Gordon Parker wasn't there to sing at a family reunion. And uh, I jumped up on the picnic table and started singing songs from Molly Brown. Debbie Reynolds and Molly Brown, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, I did the whole thing. I did uh, uh, Colorado, my home sweet home, with the echoes and everything. The next day, my mom takes me to the Finchfield Baptist Church, and the uh, preacher's wife taught voice lessons. And I was about, I don't know. So she started me out on Valerie, Valerie, and I was a singer after that. And, you know, people would ask me to sing. And Michelle, I sung for my supper many a night. And it was mm-hmm. going to be the only way I got my supper. But I've never been hungry except by choice. You know that? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so i just always been an, an actor. And then um, in high school, I wasn't going to be an actor. I was going to be a lawyer. My dad wanted me to be a lawyer, and I wanted to be a lawyer. I read law books when I was very young. I learned to read at three and a half. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and uh, when I said something from about a plot that I had come up with for a little story that they told us to write, and I had come up with this plot from reading Shahrazad, you know, A Thousand and One Arabian Nights, and I'm in mm-hmm. the second grade, and the teacher's like, yeah, well, how did you think of that? And I was just, like, you know, plagiarizing, really. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I've always been troubled, Michelle. I've always been troubled. And, you know, yeah. the oddball, the queer boy, mm-hmm. the sissy, the, uh, uh, you know, the outcast. I've always been the outcast. And, uh, but, you know, 
people love me anyway, and uh, I did quite well. Uh, I was the only one in my high school class on the, in the 12th grade at the senior graduation. I was the only person that stood up when they said, who's got perfect attendance all 12 years? I also had perfect attendance at Sunday school for the first 17 years of my life. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is just the way I was raised, you know. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Michelle, uh, something that's been on my heart uh, off and on, and I've talked about it a few times other venues, is uh, LeVar Burton asked me if I was a racist on Star Trek one day. And we were working oh, on... Oh, really? Yeah, Star Trek. And I had gone to my hometown in Shelbyville, and uh, I had picked up some books in a thrift shop of my um, dentist and best friend of my father's, Dr. Hayes. And uh, I got all his uh, college books, and they only wanted a few bucks for them, so I bought them all. And I thought, well, I'll read them. I can talk to them later, you know, whatever. And um, I took them back to Hollywood with me, and I was reading them. And I was reading one on the set, a novel that was in his college books. And uh, uh, I finished it. I was crying. And uh, we were sitting there. I was uh, standing in for Data, I suppose. Uh, Yeah, I was standing in for Brent that day. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I was just, no, I was standing in for Robert Picardo, I think, uh, the doctor. Yeah, because we were were in the medical system. Yeah, and uh, 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 LeVar... Uh, was there, and I uh, finished the book, and I walked up to him, and I said, LeVar, uh, I'm sure they made a movie from this before. It's an old book, but um, you ought to get the rights to it and make another remake of it, you know, because it's just it's a fantastic story. And he said, oh, really? Well, what's, what's the book? And I said, it's Cry the Beloved Country. And he goes, oh, that's a racist book. Carl David, are you a racist? No, I just started crying, tears rolling down my face. No, I'm, I didn't. That's not a racist book. Oh, yeah, that's a racist book. It, that supports apartheid, you know. Well, I didn't see it that way. I, I, I uh-huh. just told the story, and I just walked away, you know. Well, we didn't uh-huh. talk for a while. And, you know, Jordy and my character, Ensign Russell, we worked together. That most of my scenes are in engineering with him, and he, he, gives me, he gave me my name. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been named as a Russell but one for LeVar Burton taking up with me. But, you know, so that really hurt me. And then, you know, we talked about it a few weeks later and everything's cool and, you know, but we were never closer uh, again, really. And uh, Avery Brooks said something to me one day when I was working on DS9 and I wondered if, if, if that had been talked about me, you know. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, you let it go. And, well, how uh, did you get from uh, Kentucky to Hollywood and in, and and to that whole career that you had on television and in movies? Well, well I told you I went to Moorhead State University, uh-huh. and uh, that their program is just so fantastic. It's so, a world class program there. And uh, they got me uh, an audition. Uh, Moorhead has these field study programs where they go and you see Broadway shows. We had eight. We had tickets to the night before 
uh, a chorus line was moving from the Shakespeare uh, Theater down in uh, the Circle Theater down there, uh, downtown uh, Manhattan. Uh, it was going to move to Broadway the next week, right? This mm-hmm. was going to be the last show in that intimate uh, setting where the show was born. And uh, we, uh, our college group there from Moorhead, we were there and we had tickets to it and we were standing out there waiting to go in and this guy came up and offered me $800 for my ticket, right? And I turned to mm-hmm. Dr. Lane and go, ah, I can take that, right? And he goes, no, you cannot. And I go, oh, I'm going to take it, Dr. Lane. And he goes, no, you are not. You will fail the course. And I went, oh, okay. I will watch the show. So I went in there and watched Chorus Line. And it's a good show, but I thought I would rather have the $800. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, so they got me an audition at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And uh, another actor, Ron Harris, uh, a fantastic actor, who had a similar career to me, uh, only in New York. He was uh, the stand-in for the guy, I forget the guy's name, uh, on a CSI, uh, no, not CSI, um, a, a Law and Order, with the guy from, uh, you know, he's the bad guy in the first uh, Men in Black movie. That that guy, he's the detective, the lead detective. Anyway, Ronnie mm-hmm. used to stand in for him and and be a, one of the uh, actors on uh, that show. And he uh, uh, lived in New York, and he got me an audition at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And so I got there. That's where I met my wife. Uh, she was a ballerina. Uh, we... Uh, Stayed in New York. I, I had a, a little success at acting in New York, and uh, I could do performance art. I could go down in front of the Plaza Hotel with my friends like Gary Ray and uh, um, uh, other performance artist friends, and we could make like a hundred bucks a day apiece, uh, just uh, goofing off and acting stupid and, and, and playing with the crowd, and doing little uh-huh. skits and bizarre things, and. Uh, uh, I loved it. But then one day I went to an acting class at uh, Michael Sibby. He, he was a famous uh, teacher at the um, American Academy. And uh, I did a scene from Glass Menagerie, and I played the uh, gentleman caller. And uh, after I got finished, uh, the girls in the uh, group were going, oh, they were you know, clapping. And Michael Sibby looked over and said, oh, you think that was good, huh? And he kind of like, started tearing down the way I had gone with the character. And then he said to me, he goes, you'll never be a Broadway star. You don't have what it takes to do six shows a week and two matinees on Saturday. Your voice isn't strong enough. You haven't lost your accent enough to uh, become a New York stage actor. Oh, sure, you could be a movie star. You have charisma. Yeah, you you could go out to Hollywood and, and, and make a living but you're never going to be a Broadway star. I stood up mm. right then, and I took her to class and said, adios, everybody. I'm going to California, and I did that. I called my dad. He let me work at his uh, John Deere store for three months, and he overpaid me enough to where I could put money down on a, a Dodge van. I, took, I went back to New York, picked up my girlfriend, soon to become my wife, and we quoted everything, and I drove to California, not knowing mm-hmm. what to do or what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was your yeah. favorite role of everything that you've done? 
favorite role I've ever done is, mm-hmm. well, I, I tell you, uh, the one that comes to mind is uh, from a play that's pretty obscure. It's called Private Wars, and I played uh, Gately Wood, Wood, Woodruff Gately. He's a, like a lovable lunkhead kind of guy, uh, mm-hmm. Gomer Pyle type uh, thing. It was a, a, a play about uh, Vietnam vets that were in a uh, rehab center for mental illness after the war. And uh, mm-hmm. in the play, I uh, steal radio parts from all the other radios. They have these old-fashioned radios. You know, the play is like 1968 or something at the time of the play. And uh, in this play, I take a radio apart, completely apart, and then I put it back together while I'm doing other things in the play. So I got this old radio, and I uh, a tube radio, and I practice taking it apart and putting it back together, right? Mm-hmm. And I had rigged it, though, so that the cord that you plugged in to the wall went straight to the speaker. And then I ran a speaker wire from the light booth to where the electric outlet is, and I wired that to the electric outlet. It was a fake electric outlet, but it was there on a stage, right? So when I put that radio back together and I plugged it into the wall, and the radio comes on, and it's playing out of that speaker in the radio, the crowd went, wow. They they couldn't believe it, you know? It was my little Mm -hmm. magic trick that I learned in acting school, you know, Uh, uh, backstage tricks, you know, uh, broadcasting tricks. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was one of my favorite roles. I I also, uh, one of the things where people... Uh, you know, or my dad, you said, how, how did I get going with acting, too? My dad, like I said, I was going to be a lawyer. My dad, he wanted me to go to the University of Kentucky. My older brother was a, a, eventually a professor of art there. And uh, my older sister, she a journalist in Kentucky. She uh, was the editor of uh, my hometown paper for a long time. Uh, I don't even know if they have my hometown paper anymore, uh, the Sentinel News. But anyway, she... Uh, uh, they shoot, my dad wanted me to go to because they they had kind of a legacy going at the University of Kentucky and it is a fine university. It's very fine. Mm-hmm. But I went there, but my dad said you can't study theater. You got to study something practical. You can be in plays, <laughs> you can take that as a minor, but you can't. You know, he goes, you ought to study electronics. I was really good with electronics and well and doing Radio Shack products, and I had built a color organ into a stereo and everything. So, but I I didn't like the math involved. Anyway, so I wanted to be acting, but he said, no, I won't pay for your college. So I did this play in high school, and uh, it was called Flowers for Algernon. Cliff Robertson did the movie. I'd never seen the movie. I didn't want to see it. I just want, I learned the play, and I played Charlie in Algernon. And uh, that's when people first said, oh, you really ought to be an actor, you know. And um, uh, Dr. Lane, uh, uh, who was uh, my, my, well, I, 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 my acting, really, I have to thank Jane Martin, my teacher in high school, my drama coach in high school. She's the one that had faith in me that she would base a whole 
depend on the you know me to learn the lines and everything and take on a major role because our school you know uh, if you weren't a jock you weren't a hero you know you, you were you know mm-hmm. it was a whole glee club kind of deal you know it was in real life only it was magnified a little bit in Kentucky you know I, I got to finish that LeVar Burton story because uh, later uh, on Voyager, I, they had me standing in for Robert Duncan McNeil, and uh, I, they made me Lieutenant Russell. You know, they changed, so they could change me to a red uniform, so I'd be the same color as <laughs> Robert Duncan McNeil's uniform, so I could stand in for him and, you know, be over my shoulder to the close-up of Chakotay or whoever the uh, Robert Beltran or whoever the other actor was. And uh, uh, so anyway, I was in there one day, uh, uh, standing in for Robert Duncan McNeil, and who was directing this episode but LeVar Burton. And, uh, and, you know, Michelle, there are no coincidences. In my universe, there are no coincidences. We don't have to talk about it. That's That's just the way it is. That's what I think. Okay, right? So uh, the night before, I had just had, you know, I listen to NPR all the time, uh, all things considered and things. The night before, I had just heard that, uh, James Earl Jones had been at the uh, world movie premiere of Cry of the Beloved Country, the book mm-hmm. that, that LeVar Burton said that I might be a racist for reading. And he said mm-hmm. uh, that he was with Nelson Mandela. And Nelson Mandela had said that this was the most moving movie experience he had ever had. So the next morning when I walk in and I see LeVar Burton, he, I, I hadn't even said anything yet there. LeVar mm-hmm. looked up at me and he came over to me. He stopped, stopped production. He comes over. He sees me. He walked up to me. He hugs me. He says, Carl, I'm so sorry that happened. So he knew what I, what I was mm-hmm. feeling before I even said anything. And I said, LeVar, last night, James Earl Jones said that he was with Nelson Mandela. And I told him, you know, at, at the world pro movie of Cry of the Beloved Country. And he goes, yeah, I know, I know. I am so sorry I did that, you know. So LeVar and I are friends now, you know, again after that. But, uh, but you know, here's the thing. But am I, uh, uh, do I suffer from systemic racism? I was raised in Kentucky. I can remember, Michelle, this is horrible, but I can remember my second grade uh, uh, singing books. And, uh, you know, my old Kentucky home, uh, Stephen Foster, Uh I mean, he's revered. They sing it every year at the Kentucky Derby. Kentucky Derby, you know, my father is set Uh at the box at the finish line. You know, he's a John Deere dealer there in Shelby County. Uh, so we sang my old Kentucky home every year at the Derby, and they had it there in the singing book. But the words there, you know, Michelle, they're so uh, so racist. I mean, uh, 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 the darkies are gay, you know. It was right mm-hmm. there in print and when I'm a kid. You know, I was in a well, segregated you know school what? until I went, fourth grade. I went to, and you know what? I went to a Catholic school up here in Detroit. And we had a nun who was, te- you know, she had a choral class, and she had us learn how to sing that. And, and, and she, it didn't faze her that, you know, the few blacks who were in there, how uncomfortable we were. Mm. Oh, see, I'm so sorry. Yes, yeah, so we, 
you know, we had a black school system, and it was in Montclair, the black little town, you know, where my, my mother was a world book salesman, and she also sold child crafts. And my mom would, would let people pay by time and stuff, especially in Montclair and stuff. And uh, anyway, there were um, uh, we would go by the black school, and I would see the kids standing out front. Because when you lived out in the country like I did, the black kids and the white kids got on the same bus, and they drove to the white school, and then the black kids got on the black bus and went down the street to the black school. And uh, I noticed one day them standing out there with the science books that my older brother, who's five years older than me, had at home, and I had read. And I knew that in those books, that information was totally useless. They did know Mm -hmm. that the moon wasn't made out of green cheese by then, you know? But not in those books. (laughs) And that didn't help. Uh, So... Uh, and my sister, and then the other thing, Michelle, uh, growing up, uh, uh, when I was in the third grade, they passed the Civil Rights Bill, and so Kentucky was supposed to integrate, and they did some kind of thing where they had a year where, yes, if you're black, you can go to the white school, but we keep the black school open to have this year of changeover, right? Uh-huh. And uh, uh, only one family came to the white school that year, and, and the Hall family. And they were a family that my mother had sold childcraft to and world books. And those kids and uh, Darnell, they were always way ahead of everybody else after that, you know, the, the next year when the, you had to go, we had to integrate. Uh, the, that year also, while we were at the bus stop and the kids, we had moved over to their, like, the little telephone pole where the black kids stood to wait for the black bus. When I had, my dad had told me that, you know, this was the, about the, you know, my dad was a big Kennedy supporter and everything. And, uh, um, um, uh, he told me what was going on. And so I walked up to the kid and I said, uh, hey, next year we're all going to be friends. We're all going to be things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I said, uh, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I walked back over. And after that, there were certain people that called me the end lover mm. right to my face sometimes. Yeah, uh-huh. because I did that as a little kid, you know. So am I, do I suffer from systemic racism? I hope not. I'm married to a black man, and I love him. I know that. And I wouldn't be alive without him. And that's why I came to Detroit, you know, for him. Uh-huh. He's a Star Trek fan, yeah. And he thought I was a girl. I guess he was drunk. He must have been drunk. Because I didn't look that uh-huh. much like a girl back then when I first started. And I don't now. I'm clocked immediately at. 25 feet, 40 now, and I'm so old, <laughs> and I don't wear makeup all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the mask helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I'm a third, I'm happy with being a third thing. You know, I'm uh-huh. a transgender, and there's no going back. And it wouldn't do me any good if I did. And 
I don't know what what would compel me to it. I I was willing to do it to try to see my children, but I went through two heavy duty ten weeks of the uh, reparative therapy in California before it was illegal, and they they tested on me. It seems like, and uh, when I finally came to the end of it, and uh, you know after doing aversion therapy and all these horrible, horrible, torturous things uh, uh, that weren't appropriate for me at all. I, I, ne- I never considered myself to be gay. I just always had a female intuition that wouldn't let me uh-huh. not think this way, you know? Uh, I don't know. But uh, but you didn't have to put a label on it, but I had to be fixed before my family. Because, see, when I came out, I didn't come out. I was outed in Hollywood. Yeah. Dennis Hopper was really mad about that, too. You know, I was in Dennis Hopper's entourage for a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was mad because uh, he had, all of his life, there was rumors about him and James Dean. And uh, he didn't like that, you know. And uh, although he did love James Dean. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah. And um, so anyway, I, I hung out with him a lot. And so and yeah, the the day that this guy tumbled a bunch of names, and because I was hanging out with Dean Sockwell and Russ Hamlin and Dennis Hopper, and they were all on this list, and me and my wife were on it too. Dennis had me early one morning. He called me like five thirty in the morning. I want you to go around to every one of those little stands in the uh, in everywhere in Hollywood and pick up this paper that it's rag sheet that is out right now. So I did that. I went all over Hollywood. There was this one guy who published this little Hollywood rag sheet, you know, and he would put it out there free. And uh, he had this uh, Hollywood outlet. Well, anyway, it didn't do any good because it was on the news that night and all this list of uh, people who might be gay in Hollywood, and I was on it. And, yeah, after that, uh, it changed my career not for the good, for the really bad. And put mm-hmm. gals in everybody's mind and my wife and everything, too. Wasn't good. Wow. They didn't treat me. They, they didn't uh, put their arms around me and say, hey, thank you. Good for coming out. That's really great. <laughs> yeah, you know, mm-hmm. be yourself. That's right. They didn't do that to me. <laughs> Wow. You know, do you ever, I mean, let's say you had your, your life, you know, your your life as um, on Star Trek, which still seems to go on, you know, you know, for some people you're always... Hey, my character's have, still alive, Michelle. I know. My, my I mean, and you have people who follow you and stuff like that. Do you have any regrets about, about still being Ensign Russell to some people? Well, I don't have any regrets about being Anton Russell or being Carl David. Carl David, mm-hmm. you know, that's my name in the screen, screen actor field. I'm Carl David. And, uh, 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 and that's the reason I'm Debbie David now. Uh, but, no, I'm not ashamed of anything I did as a man. I, I'm proud of that. Uh, and I was a good man. Uh, I was mm-hmm. a nice guy. Uh, I I did a lot, too, and I met a lot of people. You know, I got to talk to people like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I, I, and not just say hello or meet them. I mean, talk mm-hmm. to them. 
uh, like Muhammad Ali, uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking, uh, private conversations with, you know, Mae Jameson, uh, all these things. A lot of them, we talked about Star Trek, but uh, Dennis Hopper and artists that I met through him, you know, uh, uh-huh. talking to John Michelle Basquiat while he's painting a, a, a pole oh, wow. in uh, uh, New York City and, and sharing a joint that I bought for him in, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, down at Washington Square Park and then uh, uh, walking with Dennis Hopper in to see the piece at uh, MOCA, uh, Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. Dennis had the uh, 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 John Michelle Basquiat on his wall in his uh, Venice uh, home. And uh, uh, I used to lay on this uh, chaise lounge in front of that and finger and outline the the because I did collage art myself. So John Michelle was one of my you know mentors. Well, anyway, we go to the show that Dennis had put that piece of uh, artwork out of his home in the show for John Michelle in 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 Los Angeles, uh, and. Uh, we were going there with Dennis to see this piece. But when I walk in right next to the piece, a whole piece of the New York street in that telephone box that I was standing there talking to Michelle Basquiat is preserved like a giant piece of art. That really, you know, I said, man, you've lived a life. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And that that's just one. There's hundreds. So I gotta mm-hmm. write my autobiography. I had it yes, on paper. You do. I had it on paper and it was in my storage room in Kentucky and all my stuff got destroyed in Kentucky. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I wanna go back to Kentucky. I wanna go back to Kentucky, but I'm afraid to. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. afraid to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're also known for Acapella and Dragopolis. Oh, yeah. Acapella is a so beautiful place. Uh, I helped a lot of people there, too. I had a, a, a theater in the NoHo mm-hmm. Arts District of, of, of North Hollywood. The NoHo Arts District is this little strip there in, in North Hollywood, uh, Los Angeles. And uh, uh, it's... Uh, I was on Lancaster Boulevard, 5907 Lancaster Boulevard. It was the old Joe Wu's Chinese restaurant. And uh, I rented the whole place. I had 4,500 square feet with these like, 50 wow. foot ceilings and these old Japanese uh, ladies painted. And you know, this is a Chinese motif that I kind of kept a lot of uh, and incorporated it into like Star Trek murals and stuff. I had a fantastic mural on the front of the building painted by uh, Lloyd Nolan, uh, Noel, Noel, yeah, Noel, Noel, Noel. anyway, this great artist, and he had every ship from science fiction there in space over a Chinese village that was, it was a, a vast relief 3D plaster uh, mural for a Chinese restaurant that was on the wall to begin with, and I incorporated mm-hmm. like the lions that had these red jewels glued into them. And uh, I put a, 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 um, a Our Lady of Guadalupe statue in the mural, too, so it never got tagged or anything. It was mm-hmm. beautiful, my mural. Wow. And uh, North Hollywood, was this uh, commission was supposed to try to save it as a piece of art when they uh, 
when I when I lost the club, but yeah, that's a long story too. But yeah, I had acapella. It was a beautiful cafe and theater space. I had a giant Hieronymus Bosch print from Dennis Hopper, and you can see this thing. It's in the movie uh, Backtrack, which I'm also in. It was Jodie Foster and Dennis Hopper, and Dennis Hopper wow. direction. Anyway, I play the ad man in that movie. But anyway, in the movie. Dennis plays this gangster, uh, 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 an assassin for gangsters. And he uh, has this Hieronymus Bosch print behind him in the movie. And it's uh, the uh, Garden of Earthly Delight. And it's a full-size mural reproduced from the original Hieronymus Bosch, you know, 500-year-old painting in Europe. on this special fo- uh, Polaroid photo paper that exactly reproduces what it's supposed to, you know? So it, it uh-huh. looked exactly like... Well, anyway, Dennis had this uh, Hieronymus Bosch mural, which took up a whole wall in this huge club of mine, cut it into panels and mounted on panels and gave it to me. Uh-huh. And I put it on barn rails that I got out of Kentucky. <laughs> and... So I could turn them sideways and put them up flat against the wall and open up the cafe into the theater section, or I could pull them straight and turn them sideways and make the Hieronymus Bosch print on either side of the thing and and have a theater section and the cafe be quiet, you know. And mm-hmm. it was a fantastic space. Uh, and I had all kinds of stars. Uh, Fred Willard, unfortunately, who just died recently, last year. Uh, he did a show at my club for uh, a year. And it was a, like an a improv comedy uh, competition where he would, uh, comics would show up there because uh, I also had an open mic comedy night with uh, people like mm-hmm. Wayne Brady and uh, Jonathan Mangum is a partner on uh, uh, Let's Make a Deal. Uh, and, and, you know, a, a fantastic comic in his own right. Mm-hmm. And uh, on uh, whose line is it anyway? They premiered the idea. Drew Carey used my club to have Ben Madonna come and watch them do it at my club. That's where they, and they promised to pay me back. They never did. Drew, you owe me money. (laughs) Well, not money. You owe me something. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, uh, and and, and Wayne Brady, uh, uh, they had their group there too. And uh, I don't know, Wayne probably wouldn't want me to tell this, but they had this comedy group. They, they, they were a bunch of young actors that come out of, uh, I think, the Universal System and the Burt Reynolds Theater in, uh, in Florida, Orlando, I think. That's where they got their early uh, acting and stuff going. Well, Wayne Brady and Jonathan Mangum and this whole group of uh, Joel, Joel McCrary, who was a, uh, the ambassador in the Princess Diary movies. He, he's mm-hmm. a friend of mine, too, uh, there. I just talked to him the other day. He he said a prayer with me there in that club. It kind of helped oh, wow. save my life. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Anyway, they had a comedy group called The House Full of Honkies. It was all these white guys from Orlando and Wayne Brady. And they didn't say anything <laughs> about why Wayne Brady was one of the honkies. You know? This is the humor of it, you know. Well, and uh, when you said it, anyway, funny, one day you know? I've got this poster out front of uh, my club and uh, uh, in the window, 
and it says, you know, every Friday night or whatever it was, the house full of honkies. Well, this uh, black lady comes in, and, oh, she was on a tirade. What does this mean? What kind of a group is this? Why would you only have a... And I say, oh, man, man, man. Yeah, I'll give you free tickets. She no, it's very funny. No, no, it's, no, it's nothing like that. It's an improv comedy show. They have black guys. We love black guys. Anyway, she came back later with her church group. And the minister was going to lay into me, you know, about this house full of honky show, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I told him, I told him, I explained to him, he was reasonable and everything. And, he, and I said, well, where is your church? And he goes, well, we're looking for a church. And I said, I'll tell you what, you can meet here, this right here in my cafe until you find a place. And so they met there on Sunday mornings for uh, a, a few a few months, and then they got them self-placed. So I turned that one around, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Debbie, we're going to take our second break here. And when we come back, right. I want to talk about something else you're doing, which is the United States Transgender Advocacy. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with my guest, Debbie David. And, you know, Debbie, I mean, in so many ways, advocacy doesn't necessarily mean, although a big part of it is, is to stand up and speak out your life. I mean, you still are who you are. Um, you still have friends who you are. And I think that you move the bar just by being the person you are walking your life the way that you do, but recently you started talking to me about the United States Transgender Advocacy. How did you get involved yeah, well, with them, and, and what exactly does uh, USTGA do? Yeah, well, United States Transgender Advocacy is a 501c, it, well, I, it was a 501c out of Illinois. This uh, lady, uh, transgender girl, um, Crystal Ann Gray, uh, she was quite a, uh, uh, is quite a lady. And um, anyway, she started the, the, the group, and she had been uh, transgender in Illinois, in, in, in the rural areas of Illinois all her life. And she became a uh, rescue-type person, and so she was in with all these uh, rescue people and everything. They all respected her. They knew that she was trans, and she lived her life pretty much trans. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, 
she got on a Donahue, I think it was, as you know, a, you know, they, 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 uh, they look like women, but they're really boys on the next Donahue. No, this yeah, is oh, a, yeah. some of the mm-hmm. first information I got. I remember in um, mm-hmm. in college, I I heard that the Donahue was going to be about uh, women who were really men, uh, men who were really mm-hmm. women, uh, women who dress like. Men are just like women. And uh, I got so excited, I went to the uh, university and uh, skipped class, and I went up into the uh, control room at the TV station, and I started taping it on one of their tape machines. And one of the uh, professors at the school came over and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm taping something up here. I'm, I'm doing research. And I, I, I need a tape of this. He goes, you can't tape on those. <laughs> those were the classes. I said, I, I just need it. He said, you, can, you can't. Those you those tapes are $90 a piece. I said, well, can I buy it? And he said, yeah. I gave him $90. And I, so I, I taped on a, on a system I may have never gotten to play back. That's how excited hmm. I was to hear about that. And, you know, uh, 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 something about someone who wore women's clothes because they had to, you know. I wanted mm-hmm. to know what that was, was about, you know. And so uh, all, I've been that way all my life, you know. It's just all my life. I can't help it. I, I, I was born this way. There's yeah. maybe some nurture, but, you know. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know. But... Why do why do families not love kids? I mean, religion can't be like this. To mm-hmm. family love, it, that can't be right, Michelle. It just can't. It just can't be that you should shun your children. You know, mm-hmm. or you know, and especially when your you children shouldn't for- know you because you were uh-huh. gay or something. Uh-huh. You pray for us. That's what happened to me. Child. I don't know my own children. And, you know, and then you shun them, you know? It makes no sense. I don't know my mm. own children. Mm. I haven't seen a picture or heard their voice since 1996. And oh, there's no legal, legal restriction. Nothing was ever said. There was any insinuation. And here's a... Sure, because they had me go through reparative therapy twice, and I tr- I went into it full. But yes, please fix me, please fix me. I don't want to. I don't want you know not love me. You know, I tried. But when they had the paddles on me and they had my arms strapped down and they were putting the gel on my head and they were rubbing those paddles together to electroshock me, and they told me I might have gaps in my memory after that, and I didn't want to be on stage. And not know the next line. That's the actor's okay. voice here. I started screaming, "Get me a lawyer!" And some yeah. doctor in the hallway finally heard me, and he stopped him. And uh, yeah. I, w- I walked away from reparative therapy, and you can't make me go back. But if you put me in jail, I'll just die of a heart attack. Uh-huh. You know, I'm too scared. They did that to me too, Michelle. They put me in jail. They beat me up. Yeah for wearing a dress. I've gotten arrested as a prostitute in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, and when I told the uh, L.A. police, turn me over to the county sheriff's because I was signed up with the county sheriff's program for 
they had this transgender uh, support group, and if you signed up for it and you went to so many meetings in a row and you got one of the psychiatrists to say that you were actually trans, they would put you on a list at the police station that said you were not a, a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And I was on that list because I had done the program, you know. And uh, uh, but so I had them turn me over to the county sheriffs, and uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't. They the, the county sheriffs. Uh, they were worse than the LAPD. Mm. Yeah, they put me in uh, Twin Towers for 28 days without a lawyer. Mm. Yeah. It was a, 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 a L.A. judge, Judge Friedenthal, who just uh, died, that uh, got me out. He wrote, he, I, I didn't show up for rehearsals. I was just a stage manager. But he was at the rehearsal, and he said, where's Debbie? <laughs> he was producing the show. He says, I like her. And everybody know oh, we don't know. He put a red of habeas corpus out on me. And mm. uh, that's what saved me. Yeah. Show mm. <laughs> <Okay>. business. <laughs> saved me after yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were talking about United States uh, transgender advocacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crystal and, and her partner, Sherry K. Miller, they uh, started the group. Sherry and her, uh, Crystal, had put together this document that they had researched themselves, and they called it Transgender 101. And EEOC and this, uh, these other federal agencies used this document as a resource to try to get their handle around what should we do with um, law enforcement and how they handle transgender people in different states. And Illinois wanted to come up with their own plan because it's not illegal to wear a dress in, in, in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So uh, she started this group, United States Transgender Advocacy, out of, out of Wonder Lake, Illinois. And uh, I uh, sent them some money. I, uh, I, I worked with them at a uh, Southern Comfort Conference. They used to have all these... Uh, you know, go away for a weekend, don't tell the wife mm-hmm. and kids, but you're going to be wearing a dress all weekend, and, you know, and they had these things like be all in Chicago, oh, they were fantastic. we take over a whole hotel, and you, you wore clothes all weekend, and you went to seminars, and you learned about uh, SRS, uh, sexual reassignment surgeries, and things like that from these doctors all over the world, and, oh, they were great. And I spoke at a few, I entertained and played and guitar. I was even on CNN uh, with one about the, uh, her name was uh, Stephen or something, uh, the guy who lost his job. Anyway, because uh, he was a girl. And uh, uh, you see me in that CNN documentary. But I used to go to all these different uh, conventions and uh, speak and do things. And uh, they don't have them anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. They're they're not as necessary, I guess. You know, you can uh, you can walk into a, a, a Salvation Army these days, and they won't throw you out. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they don't like it sometimes, but uh, they won't throw you out. <laughs> and and, uh, uh, and after they get to know me, they say, they'll say something to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> we find you by just Debbie. <laughs> yeah, Debbie, you know, come around here. We've got, this is you, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so uh, United States Transgender Advocacy, we uh, started this group, and uh, I came to Illinois to uh, do a training session with the Crystal Ann and um, Sherry where we were training Illinois state troopers on how to deal with transgender people and what their rights really were and why we were doing what we were doing and explaining how it's not always sexual things. It's, it's not, Michelle. It's not about sex most of the time with a transgender person. And uh, how, you know, we uh, people think that we're pedophiles, but uh, you look at statistically, that's, yeah, way uh in the other direction, you know. Uh And uh, uh, so, uh, uh, anyway, so so we were teaching these cops. And anyway, I started uh, representing them at these conventions, like at Be All and everything. And then they made me uh, national secretary, and I was doing that for a few years. And uh, when Facebook came along, uh, I said, hey, let's start a Facebook page. And so she said, well, you do that, Debbie. And so I did. (laughs) And now, years later, and, you know, after this uh, Supreme Court decision and everything, there's a bunch of people that dropped off as donors to these different organizations. And it became all about, we had to do fundraisers just to stay alive and pay for our web service and everything. So, and you have to do all these lawyer meetings, and it, it's there's a, a lot of legal entanglements, and where does the money go and stuff like that. And you know, we were just trying to help. So, we not an F five hundred one c. We don't have to uh, uh, ask for donations either. So, Crystal Ann said, "Hey, Debbie, you can keep the name and you." can uh, keep this voice because I, I have like a thousand followers on the site. So mm-hmm. I study, I listen for things. I post very little about myself on it, but I will uh, search news articles. I will follow court cases. I will uh, check into transgender laws that are being written and, and write what I think about them. I will find a lot of news articles. I search the news every day for transgender events. And I will post them on United States Transgender Advocacy on Facebook, at USTGA on Facebook. And uh, uh, that's what I do. Uh, uh, you, you know, Debbie, you but, said how, you know, how but, you but, pe- but people like Mara Keesling and, you know, mm-hmm. Jenny Boylan, they all look at my page. We, we interact. And we, I'd like to interact with these people more. Uh, Rachel, you know, of course, and uh, Michelle Box Phillips, uh, all the local people here in Detroit I, I work with and stuff. And, and, you know, Dana Nessel knows who I am, and uh, uh, the chief knows who I am now, too. But he's retired. Uh, anyway, that's, that's okay. Uh, and Danny Debbie. Woods, yeah, you know, I, uh-huh. yeah, people know me here now. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, you I, I, I just, about that, it's my little voice. Hmm? Uh-huh. You talked about how, you know, you can go into Salvation Army and, you know, people who know you, but we still have, you know, the people trying to pass these laws against trans inclusion, you know, not letting trans kids play on sports teams. We have trans women, trans men getting killed and attacked. You have people across the country trying yeah. to make these laws Michelle, against trans it's people. So how important is what just... you're doing? 
it's so draconian in this one state. It, they're actually going after the parents who would counsel their own children that it's okay to be who you are, honey. No, if you tell your own kid that, then it might take your kid away from them. They took the kids away from me. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't say anything, but hey, they insinuated the heck out of it. And, you know, so me and my wife separated for a year while you get well from your Star Trek injury because you're screaming in the middle of the night, scaring me. But it wasn't because I was gay or transgender or nothing. Mm-hmm. But when I came out after that as transgender, you know, publicly, oh, no, you're a, you're a, I, I was officially designated, you know, uh, egomaniacal, uh, 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 messianic complex and, uh, uh, hmm. um, uh, a, so, a social, a so, not sociopath, but a social deviant. I was labeled a social deviant, and I was also labeled a mental disorder. My gender dysphoria was called a mental disorder before it was called the gender dysphoria. And so I was legally, you know, under, you know, and my family, they they would... If they had lived in California, they could have signed my mental health rights away, and yeah. they would have. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, well, that's the era I lived through. And, uh-huh. you know, they talk about these pioneers of the movement and everything like that. I hope these kids appreciate what Harvey Milk and, you know, <laughs> going all the way back to uh, Michelangelo having to hide that they were dead. <laughs> You know, um, whatever. Well, well, Debbie, you know. I mean, would the world, would would society really want all the knowledge and art and beauty Mm -hmm. and love and and invention that came from the gay people of the world? You think that would work out good for everybody? We wouldn't be talking right now, Michelle. Mm -hmm. So you know, like this week. We wouldn't be talking on a computer. But you were sitting, uh, this week you were like at, in uh, Ferndale. You see a lot of, you see a lot more trans visibility, even though we talk about the other side. What are your, what do you see in the future? You know, we've got a new administration. We have some leadership. I mean, we've got uh, a trans woman who's on the cabinet. I mean, so, I mean, there's all these steps forward. Besides, you know, so a lot of this stuff that's still going on, what do you see in the future? What would you like to see happen in the future for particularly trans well, I, youth, but other I think people we got who an opportunity here. What you're doing? I think we, mm-hmm. I think we, we should go from where we are now with COVID and stop fighting wars and, and use the knowledge we brought to, to, to cure cancer, to cure the virus. You know, if, if every virus that affected a human was not in any human, the virus would not exist. We did it with polio almost, mm-hmm. you know. And so this is where, where we ought to go with the world. And, yes, uh, there ought to be a way that I could, you know, when I was a, a, a young actor, I spent a year in uh, Rome, basically, but I traveled all over. I went through Yugoslavia. 
I even rented a house for a while in Yugoslavia, like a couple of weekends, and it was like 80 bucks for the two weeks. And there was this whole okay. big house and this beautiful little farm, Yugoslavia, which doesn't exist anymore. And uh, anyway, and uh, but I, I, I lived in Rome. And, uh, of course, I was a man. I didn't present, and I didn't, I wasn't gay then, really. Uh, but I couldn't do that now. I couldn't go. I'll never get to see the holy man. You know, I would love to walk through some of those places or just see, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll, I'll never get to do that. And that's just such a shame. Now, Michelle, we've got to stop by each other, uh, everybody. Uh, uh, but, you know, I want everybody to know that I was born in Louisville. I was born in the same hospital as Muhammad Ali, and I got to tell him that once in Central Park uh, early one morning while he was jogging by himself the last day of his, I think, really big fight. I think it was Leon Spinks. But anyway, uh, uh, but I'm from Louisville, and uh, I lived a pretty privileged white life, uh, you know. But I don't. I I felt more racism in New York City than I felt uh-huh. growing up as a kid in Kentucky. Uh-huh. And uh, but you know, I don't know. Maybe I just. Maybe I was blind to it. I know when I came back uh, from my high school reunion, um, um, me and my wife came in, and I wanted to sit with my, you know, the clique of my friends, and they were all at one table, you know. And when I walked towards them, they uh, one of them stood up and came over to me and my wife said, uh, "We don't have any room at this table. You can't sit here." And I looked over at another table, and I saw a couple of people I liked, but I saw them sitting with some people I didn't really like. I look over in the back of the room, the back of the room, and there's one long table. All the black people are sitting there together. I walk over there, and my wife said, can I sit with you? I had the best mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the best time. We, we, and they told me about things, and they remembered about me, and I told them things about it. They remembered about me. They couldn't believe it, you know. And it was great, yeah. But, but like I'm saying, I don't think Kentucky, you know, it gets a bad rap. And, you know, uh, I, 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 I tell the story, you know, my, my, as a little boy growing up on a farm in Kentucky, my neighbor was Colonel Sanders. Uh, Colonel huh. Harlan Sanders, the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy, the real guy. Wow. You know, he's not a cartoon. Wow. Yeah, and uh, you might think uh, Kentucky, oh, uh, that's a little bit of a plantation racist kind of thing, you know. Well, I knew the colonel, and I used to sit on his lap as a little kid. He used to tell me stories. I used to tell him stories about my adventures. He used to, he didn't like me walking on his farm, but after I told him what I was up to and everything, he, he gave me permission to walk across his farm, you know, the Blackwood Hall where he lived. And uh, I even uh, got a suit of his to, for a college production play. One day, uh, one day Dr. Lane said, what we need is a white linen suit like Colonel Sanders wears. And I said, I'll get you a Colonel Sanders. How are you going to do that? I said, I'll get it from Colonel Sanders. They didn't believe it when I brought it in. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 
They didn't believe it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they did because they, they took it back to him so they could meet him. Anyway, uh, but so I used to sit on the colonel's lap as a little kid. And, uh, I, you know, I had friends that played, and my dad had uh, a whole crew that worked uh, for him, and they were all black. And uh, I played with their kids, and that's they were my friends. So I didn't feel like there was any prejudice. I, I was glad when they uh, put the schools together and everything. Uh, I didn't see it. But now I hear, you know, people talk about the top, and then I, I see on the news, uh, there's this big plan meeting, and it's in Kentucky, and I go, whoa. And I take my yeah. husband down there to show him, and we're going through the beautiful hillside. We come around a bend, and there's this barn up there, and there's a huge Confederate flag on it. And I went, oh, wow. I, you know, I don't know. I, well, maybe, I, maybe I just didn't notice it as a kid, and I'm sorry if I didn't, but. But you know, but you I, I, know, I never like felt prejudice. You know. know, you were a kid, and that's one of the things too. Is like you know. Well, I think it was being an outcast, me being gay. Is, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, I understood what it felt like to not be liked just because of the way you walk or something. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, I was walking down to high school one day. And I was walking with my girlfriend. And I was carrying my books. She goes, why do you carry your books that way? I said, um, what do you mean? And she said, you shouldn't carry your books like that. You should have one on the side. I said, mm-hmm, okay. And then another day we were walking down the hall. And she goes, why do you walk like a girl? I went home that night and said, Dad, she said I walk like a girl. What do they mean? Said, well, um, you know. Don't walk like a girl. Walk like a man. Well, well, how do I do that? Well, you should walk like John Wayne. Well, how does John Wayne walk? He takes big steps. So I started taking big steps. That became part of my act of being a man, and I, that's the way I walk. And when I, you know, when I was trying out to be a superhero or a, a spy or a whatever, um, a man in a movie, I would walk like John Wayne. <laughs> but I was acting. But I got mm-hmm. tired of acting in my real life and not being myself. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love it when I'm myself. I get so mm-hmm. creative. I want to write. I want to garden. I want to, you know, people say, oh, uh, 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 they used to tease me because mom, my mom would say, oh, uh, no, I need, uh, I need him in the house today to help me with his cleaning. And uh, my brothers were, ha, 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 we're going out to the field with Dad. And, uh, uh, and I was like, oh, great. Because, you know, uh, I would be watching TV and ironing clothes and talking to my mom all day. I loved it. <laughs> well, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, Debbie, before we go, I remember- tell me what about your Debbie and the D television? Okay, well, I, I do this video. Uh, again, I don't have to uh, ask for donations for United States Transgender Advocacy because it's all funded. My dad made it possible for me to live as an artist, okay? So I do need to make money because I have to take care of my husband, and now I'm, I'm helping Ruby. I 
I gotta help her now too. Uh, so I, I do need to make money, and I DoorDash and things like that when I absolutely have to. But uh, uh, again, with my videos and things, I don't have to, you know, get an audience or anything. I'd like to because YouTube will let you do a lot more when you have a thousand followers. So that is kind mm-hmm. of a goal of mine. But I do these videos. I do Debbie and the D, and I do Dragopolis Television. I have a Vimeo channel. It's vimeo.com slash Debbie, D-E-D-D-I-E, 3D, Debbie 3D, like the numeral 3, the letter D again. Uh-huh. That's, that's one channel where you can see uh, my Dragopolis television stuff. The other uh, channel on YouTube, you just search Debbie D. David, and it's D is D-E-E. I, I, uh, you know, I go, Debbie 3D means I have three Ds in my name, <laughs> Debbie D. David. But the uh-huh. D in the middle stands for D-E-E-D, because that was, used to be my nickname at my club, uh, Dragopolis, which we really didn't talk about uh, in, in, in Hollywood. I had the club Dragopolis. I, I created Dragopolis. Now, RuPaul's got a game, and we're fighting about that, but we're not well, fighting. Really? We're working together. We're, uh-huh. We wind up working together. It's already in the works. Uh, I can't talk about it. But anyway, Dragopolis. Well, you know what? You'll have to come back and talk about it after you work it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. (laughs) It'll be an announcement soon. (laughs) Mm. Uh, uh, If you watch one of my videos, the new intro that I started for Pride Month uh, for my little show, and Michelle is so sad. Uh, I've had to do a little intro at the beginning of my videos the last few because my teeth are missing, and I'm so embarrassed by it that I can't let the videos go out without saying, you know, why my teeth are missing. But I look at the analytics at who's watched my videos. Nobody has watched to the start of the video which is about, you know, like affirmation and pride and everything and Ruby and everything. They, they don't even watch through my intro, so it's kind of sad. But that's my, that's my television. It's my broadcasting. You know, broadcasting is, is a farmer's term, you know. It, it, when, a, when a farmer plants his seeds, he either spaces them, the seeds, like that, you know, uh-huh. or he does a... Uh, a small cast where he just throws the seeds out very slowly, close together. But broadcasting, like you want to do like wheat, and when you want to cover a whole field, you throw that seed out in a wide swath. It's broadcasting the seed. And the seed is your idea, going out on the radio, going out on the television, going out on the wire, going out on the computer, the Internet, Facebook, Twitter, social media. That's broadcasting. And I'm a broadcaster, and I'm going to keep doing it, whether I get an executive producer that produces a show and where I get a sing and do uh, copyrighted materials and uh, put together other things. But I write plays. I, I write songs. I, I got a lot of stuff to publish on my own. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to take a great uh, uh, leap of faith. And I'm not going to go back outdoor dashing. I promised my psychiatrist who's working with me about my PTSD over police 
that has come back because I was in an auto accident. Uh, um, person who I know not of in a uh, Cadillac Escalade uh, hit Anthony and I in our car, and he was uh, being pursued by Detroit police. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got away. I don't know any more than that. But I know that uh, it caused me to not be able to play the guitar uh, for almost a year now and um, not remember songs and to have my PTSD come back and uh, be just driving down the street and then all of a sudden I'm on the edge of the abyss, you know, like in a moment by seeing something or, or hearing a sound or something like that. So I'm coming back from that and I'm documenting it in these videos. I made a promise to Ruby and some other people that I would broadcast all of the month of June. And now I'm doing this interview from right now from my new studio space. If you uh, had video, you'd see behind me I've got all the flags uh, behind me for pride. And uh, I've got all the important ones to me. I've got the ally flag. I've got the American flag. And so the red and white stripes has got the rainbow and then I've got the uh, intersex flag uh, for me, and uh, I've got the transgender flag, too, for me. And uh-huh. uh, uh, so uh, I'm going to keep doing the videos, no matter whether anybody watches them or not. This way, I've got a little bit of something like maybe immortality in a can. Uh-huh. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Uh, uh-huh. Your videos, uh, your thing, they're there now. They're, they're there, and they're beautiful, and uh, I hope people will find mine beautiful. I do get a nice compliment here and there. Uh, I would like it to be official and be, you know, produced, and, you know, but then you need to get ratings. You need to do things. I fortunately right now am going to take this chance and uh, do these videos, continue doing the videos for the church, and I'm going to do free sponsorships in the hope that I get product and services in return or at least gifts to where I can offer prizes and okay. maybe have donations to the church or donations to, uh, uh, you know, Transgender Michigan or whoever I'm going to do that week, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my plan. I'm coming out well, Debbie, again. <laughs> all right, well, come on out. Come on out. I'll be right here for you. Well, Debbie, we've come to the all end right. of our time here, but I want to have you back to talk about Dragopolis. Hopefully everything will be worked out, and just to stay in touch. And I look forward to the day where, shoot, we might even have to do a virtual open mic. But to hear you sing oh. and to be... And that type of fellowship. Yeah, with oh, my voice is back. And yeah, I can play mm-hmm. the guitar again. Oh, yeah, I want to. I want to sing. And uh, Michelle, you, uh, your open mic night at uh, Affirmations, it was really great. You know, uh, thank you so much for doing that. I wish they'd let you do that again. <laughs> well, we're just gonna keep hope alive. <laughs> we're gonna keep our fingers crossed. And you know, and since since then, you know, I've been working on a little singing. Maybe there's a duet in our future. I want to thank my guest, activist, singer, and former actor, Debbie David. She's the National Secretary of United States Transgender Advocacy, 
where she hosts Dragopolis Television's Debbie and the D. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.